0: And it's, it's just hard, right? It's, it's a very sad book.
1: Yeah, I mean, truly a tragedy. Shakespeare could never. Honestly. RF Kuang could do Hamlet. Shakespeare could not do the Poppy War Trilogy.
0: Welcome to Mortified, The Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Layla. And this week, we talk about the end to Rebecca Kwong's grimdark fantasy trilogy, The Burning God. Before we snort orpium to activate our superpowers, remember you can help us on Mortified, The Legitimacy Quest, by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter, at MortifiedPod. Layla, uh, should we recap how we... um, initially came upon this subject of conversation
1: we got an arc because aaron asked and then for some reason they gave it to him
0: shout out to pamela joffrey at <laughs> harper Collins. uh you'll probably never hear this but i deeply appreciate you taking a chance on us um it it was it was a great nice thing to do um thanks uh but anyway yeah no we we got an arc we we read the burning god back in july which feels like a century ago <laughs> I relisten- I'm sure <laughs> you can listen to our feelings cast um, about it, and um, yeah, it just, ooh, its it was a different time, I could feel it, even then, when I was like, man, it sucks right now, I was like, oh, does it, <laughs> Aaron?" from six months ago?
1: Uh- <laughs> yeah, it was, tr- I really listened to it too today, and I was like, we sound younger, and also, like you had read it, like, a week before we recorded or something like that, and I had literally hours ago finished it. So the whole thing is you being, like, yeah, like, here's my great thoughtful analysis and was me processing trauma in real (laughs) time.
0: Anyway, Nezha! (laughs) Um, Uh, Anyway,
1: Nezha is gonna be just on my tombstone.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing, is that, like, um, we read it so long ago, and we did not have time to, um, you know, reread it, considering, one, it's, like, a 500, 600-page book, and, like, Um, also, you know, we didn't do an episode last week because of, uh, issues, so, you know, we're gonna just do this right now, and, you know, we're not gonna be incredibly detailed, but we will be spoiling the book, obviously, um, so don't listen if you don't want the book spoiled, but, uh, Layla, up top, what'd you think of the ending?
1: Uh, that's the only way that trilogy could've ended.
0: Oh, you really? You think so?
1: I mean, no, but... You know, I, re-listening to the Feelings cast, I was like, I made the point back then that I was like, you lose your ability to root for Rin because Rin does a genocide and is <laughs> bad. Um, so the whole time I was like, damn, how we gonna end it? Because I don't think she should win because she's a terrible, horrible, bad person who turns into like a very evil... Force, a very selfish Force, um, and is also like bound to Gate and Neja in wild ways, and is kind of repeating a cycle of abuse, um, both in her interpersonal relationships and also like nah globally. Um So you can't let Rin win. You go into the book knowing it's going to be a tragedy. And uh it it was.
0: <laughs> yeah. Twas
1: mm-hmm. Twas. It's very sad.
0: Kind of a rough one, I I would say. Um, Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was listening. Rebecca Quam literally just did a a live stream on Instagram a couple hours ago. And I was listening to that. And a lot of her people were asking her questions about, like, apparently, like, why she killed off certain characters. And it's like, excuse me, do you, (laughs) are you new here? (laughs) Uh, This is what happens. And, like, I don't know. I think that you're right that, like, the way that this Poppy War trilogy is structured, there is probably no other real end that could have happened besides, well, what happens is that, you know, Rin, uh, Kate and Neja all meet on the Isle of Spear, and um, in order to, like, basically end this war that's going on between Rin's new empire and the occupying Hesperians, um, Rin allows Neja to kill her, and um, which subsequently kills poor little Kate. And um, that gives Neja I mean, he's been, like, they create, like, a weird steampunk, like, god fucking Final Fantasy-ass, like, bracelet that, uh, controls- very similar, actually, to, um, the book we other- the Empire of Gold, uh, the thing that revives- what's his name? Dara? Dara, yeah. Very similar in that, like, they, like, have this device that cuts Neja off from his, his, uh, god, the dragon, and, like, that- one, it allows him to be mortal- but also, like, it allows him to control the dragon and them to control him subsequently. Um, so that's this weird situation that we find ourselves in. And, like, Rin makes this calculus because she's very angry at Neja for understandable reasons. But also, at this point in the book, when we'll talk about it, which is, you know, the masterful, most important part of the book, in my opinion, Rin's losing her goddamn mind uh, throughout the course of this whole series, but especially in the last act of this book. She becomes a uh, hyper-paranoid... Um, you know, power hungry nightmare person. And she has her as close to a redemption as she could get at this point, which is like realizing that she could fight the Hesperians forever. And, you know, you know, millions of more people will die and it still might not make a difference. And so she allows Neja to kill her in the hopes that like, maybe this will allow, um, Nikara to become something beyond just this, you know, battlefield. Um, and I, it's it's a very i have a lot of conflicting emotions about it because like you know right it is in some ways right you could argue that this is like oh well you're just allowing the colonialists to win and um you know that i don't think that's necessarily true and rebecca Kwong certainly doesn't want that to be the the takeaway but like what she was talking about in her instagram live was that like yeah you know this she doesn't actually know, right? A lot of this stuff is like, she doesn't actually have like a can, a headcanon for because that's what good writing is. It's not adding stuff after the book is written. <clears throat> and like, she wanted that to be ambiguous, like whether or not this was a good decision, but she she was hoping that, you know, maybe ultimately like this is how, if you bend the knee to to the occupiers and, and the colonists, like you still give the common people and the rest of your empire, you know, a, a chance to survive, even if throughout the book, like they're, they're trying to take you like destroy your culture and it's it's definitely worth having a, a deeper conversation about but you know i'm sure that'll come out in the, the weeks and months to follow
1: yeah um i mean like you said it's a lot of um first of all if you don't follow rebecca Kwong on social media you should because not only is she insightful and wonderful and does a lot of like live events and q a's just like the one she just did but she's also devastatingly fucking funny and it's just unreal honestly and she's also working on like a, a dark academia oxford uh novel which i'm very excited about i will read anything this uh wonderful woman publishes i'm very very excited but yeah like you said um it's it's hard right to to process this ending um because in his does kind of like win you know you feel me um but at the same time, it's it's a tragedy that has been so well-constructed and so well-written that, like, it, it hurts, but you're like, damn, Nezha, you really, I, I don't know if I agree, but you got the spirit, I guess, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Like, you try to really puzzle out. Like, you know, the whole point of fiction is to relate to it, and that's how we relate to things and stories we learn about the world. And, you know, I can't really put myself in the shoes of, like, a rich demigod prince emperor who now has to live as a political prisoner of a colonizing force. That's not a thing I can put myself in the shoes of. So judging the situation becomes extremely difficult. And I think, I mean, that's the point. Uh, Probably. Um... But, you know, it, it was one of those endings that uh, uh, feels really inevitable. And um, aren't we all trying to survive under a colonizing force?
0: I mean, we live in the U.S., so yes, for us, that's true. Um, yeah. And listen, unless you live in, like, I guess, England, you're probably trying to survive under some colonizing force. Okay. Um, uh-huh. When, yeah. I guess, no, that doesn't track, sorry. <laughs> We're all, we all, if you live in a country, you're probably doing some shit, unfortunately. States are generally bad. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, we've learned that, haven't we? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'm wondering if you could talk more, because I know Neja is your sweet baby boy,
1: um,
0: about, about Neja, because, like, I do feel that, like, at the end of this trilogy, you you do absolutely empathize with Nezha, even though he's, again, objectively a bad person.
1: I don't um, know, he's a snitch.
0: Yeah, he's a fucking narc. He sold out uh, the entire <laughs> fantasy china to the English, like, so that sucks. But also, like, you can, that's, that's the thing, we talk about Rebecca Kong's characterization. Uh, you know why he does it, right? His his dad, oh God, we have to talk about Vicer's death. Oh God. Dude, um, that
1: fucked me up.
0: Uh, I don't remember what happens, but basically Rin takes over. I do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, do you want to talk about Vicer's death real quick?
1: Yeah, so Rin shoots down Vicer's fucking helicopter, whatever, and then she's like, oh, I have weird fucking, I don't want to say daddy issues, but like essentially weird wanting to be controlled by somebody who looks like Neja issues, and uh, I'm gonna kiss this old man and burn him from the inside the fuck out. I had to take a break. I had to pause.
0: It was a little a much.
1: Um, I mean, the whole trilogy is a little much, but like in a yeah. way where you can't put it down.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was incredible, compelling writing. But like, yeah, she does definitely make out with her ex-boyfriend's dad and then breathe fire down his neck. Um.
1: Until he fries like a Thanksgiving turkey.
0: Yeah, a lot of really fucked up deaths. Sister, Sister Petra's was very good, where she, like, uh like stuffs her full of opium and clamps her mouth shut, which is, like, pretty dark. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, she, Sister Petra <laughs> reminds me, um, I can't, whenever I read about Sister Petra, and I'm pretty sure her, like, physical description also matches, I can't not think about Sister Patrice from Dragon Age 2, who is essentially the same character. Just this blonde colonizer, coming in from the church and deciding what the fantasy analog for muslims gets to do.
0: Oh, is that so, what Dragon Age is about?
1: Oops. Oh, dude, Dragon Age is about many a splendid thing and um by splendid I do mean I can't start. We I can't. Can't. I can't. We that's can't, a whole that's a that's a, a
0: three-part episode. We can't do this right now.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, one for every game. <laughs> And no, sorry. Uh, two, I can I can squeeze talking about the games in two, and then one just for Fenris. And it, God, <laughs> that's,
0: that's okay.
1: It. But anyway, yeah. So um, yeah, I can't, I can't, because that's like an archetype, right? This like, what is the shortest possible way I can say this in? So like, white women, right, are complicit in white supremacy. And so, making them a villain is very effective because in fantasy writing, you want there's like that also the posing archetype of like the white angelic, usually young woman. You know, there's always some sort of like white elf. Um, actually, in the Dragon Age movie, there is such a character. Of course, the Dragon um, Age
0: movie. Why wouldn't there be a Dragon Age? Yeah,
1: there's a Dragon Age movie and a Mass Effect movie, and they're the same exact plot except the genders of the characters and love interests are switched. Very funny. Anyway, so um. Yeah, there's always, uh, same with, um, what is that Will Smith movie where he's a cop? Um, Bright, same with Bright. Oh, fuck, yeah,
0: (laughs) Bright, okay. What a movie. There's like a
1: white, angelic, you know, there's that archetype of like innocence and youth and whatever. Um, And uh, uh, all well and good. But then you have to flip it on its head a little bit with with a sort of older, more um, commanding colonizing force in this in this ancestor in, in Petra. Um, yeah
0: like you have to square the you know the Western ideal of womanhood with the reality yes. of you know white women's you know complicity like you said in in patriarchy and you know marginalization of other folks like and then this is a historical based book like so that's why it makes makes perfect sense.
1: Exactly. So so I think her, her presence was, first of all, horrifying because there was, like, nothing Rin could do. And I think Petra's character takes advantage of um, being a woman and experimenting on Rin to, just to be like, you shouldn't be physically uncomfortable around me. I, too, am a woman kind of thing, especially after we had seen Rin be experimented on by a man at the end of Poppy War. Um, so, you know, Petra's whole goal as as I read her, is, is to provide at first a false sense of security and then to uh, fuck everyone's lives up, which she does to my sweet baby Narc-Nezha, um, incredibly effectively and in a very permanent way. And um, she does, she does die. Um, you know, and you can't, the the telltale sign of great writing in this book is that you can never, you it really makes a point out of saying you can't be judge, jury, and executioner, and the arbiter of justice as an individual. And, you know, who are we to say who deserves what end?
0: Because yeah. you can
1: feel like Petra deserved what she got, but, like, you will never know for certain.
0: Yeah. We should talk about the the main character arc here, which is that Rin starts out the book very angry. Um, yes. She's been betrayed by Vicera. She's running very low on allies. She has to ally with uh, I believe the monkey lore- warlord and there's like a bunch of like gorillas. Um But she's fighting a losing battle against uh, you know Neja's forces, the the Dragon Republic. Um, she's lost one of her hands. like she's she's in a bad situation. Um, and she begins very angry you know, fighting against this this two pronged Hesperian uh, dragon Republic army. And, like, her anger only builds from there, right? We see when she is, right? She starts with this, like, there's this attack on her camp with where they the Hesperians drop air like bombs from them on their airships, and she, you know, loses everything. Um, and then, I mean, it's, that's a heart-wrenching thing, because it's that just like... That scene
1: hurts. It's
0: just like, <laughs> ugh. We, we finally got a win, and then just immediately it's all taken from her. Um, and then it goes, I think one of the most effective, like, not effective, but necessarily, but like it shows like kind of it, it is like a foreshadowing of some sort where like they tell Rin like, oh, hey, there's a chance that your uh, adoptive brother is in this town that you're attacking. Like, you know, we got a note that they're holding him hostage. And she's like, I don't give a shit. And she just burns the whole town down like without a second thought. Like the fact that it, at least in the the copy we received, like there's just no reflection on it. She's like, yeah, well, he might be there. Oh, well, um, like that kind of shows like Rin's already pretty far gone at this point. And then it just keeps getting worse.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like you know, going back to the poppy war, um, her brother was kind of her only anchor while she was living um, in with her parents, right? Not step yeah. uh, no, I mean, parents, yeah, or adoptive parents, but yeah. Yeah, her adoptive parents, which, I mean, like, normally I wouldn't make that distinction, but they make that distinction very yeah. frequently, because Rin is a darker skin color, um, and thus lesser, because, you know, colorism, Um, but yeah, um, it is... I made a point in the feelings cast of like how chaotic, not the pacing necessarily of this book is, but like the decision making in this book is of by the characters very intentionally. So like that moment, much like Visra's death, right? Like you think Visra was the big good bad of the second book and he's going to get this whole build up and it's going to be like a big showdown with the like like video game music. And you're like, yeah, he's got two health bars. Now that bitch gets shut down the helicopter and kissed to death um that's what happens and it's it's like a side it's like a a a side note you know in a in 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 this trilogy he, he dies very inconsequentially which i think um is a commentary on the horrors of war and how we all mean fucking nothing um
0: yeah i mean that's that's a great point like throughout the whole book there's maybe like one definitive climactic battle um like the rest are like inconclusive skirmishes and like a lot of them, like, the siege is just, like, you know, they just get bowled over, but then the Republican army keeps withdrawing, and, like, they keep prolonging it uh, until we finally get that last scene. But, like, yeah, that, that that makes so much sense because, like, yeah, it is, it is. I feel, like, commentary on just, like, the fact that, like, it's never, like, a video game. There's never just, like, all right, I'm going to get to the big boss, I'm going to beat him, and then I'm going to get a cool cutscene as a reward. Like, it, it is always messy in this book.
1: Yes, and uh, um, it's messy and sometimes inconsequential and like part of Rin's like descent into, um, shall we say, a bad feelings time um, is just also uh, seeing kind of her whole support system shift and crumble and be destroyed in front of her and sometimes she is the destroyer because right? of her yeah yeah um like the trifecta g- gone completely inconsequentially um yeah kite obviously bound to her he dies with her uh neja a snitch um but i love him but a snitch. uh venka
0: we got to talk about venka
1: venka uh, yeah venka my angel has been through so fucking much she has been so resilient. She has arguably changed the most in the context of this novel, arguably maybe aside from Rin been through you know the most. And Rin thinks Venka is trying to kill her based on nothing. And it is the most heartbreaking thing to watch go down because their friendship was so good and so strong in a way that only, like, two girls that have really gone through some shit could be friends. Um, and she just goes after Venka, and Venka ends up taking an arrow for her. And it is so... It's just one of those things, like, I don't, I hope you haven't lost too many people in your life, right? But, like, when someone around you dies, like, the most stark thing is, like, they were just there. And that's that's what it felt like when Venka died. Like, she was just here, and now she's just not. It was it was very, very heart-wrenching. How did, how did you feel about... um? I, I guess, the the whole the, the support system crumbling at large, but specifically Venka.
0: Um, I mean, like, I think Venka's death is, like, sort of, like, almost the apex of Rin's descent, right? Because we, you know, we see her, right? There's a quote, you know, she's trying to get the villagers on her side, and she realizes that, like, you know she comes back to the south, and she's like, oh, they planted all this opium, all these poppy plants. I can sell them, and I can make money, and I can buy food, and I can feed my army, and it's gonna be great. And then, like, that night, the villagers like, fuck you. We wanna eat. You are the cause of all this. So they burn her opium, and she, like, goes on this rant, and she's just like, man, the spirits were right. Uh, The Nakara, they're fucking sheep. All of them. No wonder Petra thought the Nakara were inferior. Ren saw it now. No wonder the trifecta had ruled like they did with abundant blood and ruthless iron. How else did you stoke the masses except through fear? Right, and that's like, okay. We can see where Ren is slowly, like, twisting herself and making herself out to be, like, both the victim and the, you know, literally the god. She starts going by, like, you know, the goddess and the god. um, And then, like... Venka, like, you know, who has been there for her, literally conquered half the country for her, has been there, you know, f- from the beginning. Venka is like, hey, why are you being making these bad, shitty decisions? And she's like, oh, are you a spy? Because I've been getting letters that from somebody, and uh, I think you're a fucking snitch. And then Venka's like, what are you talking about? And then an assassin just, you know, shoots this arrow, and, and Venka dies for Rin, saving her life, and it's like, you know, Rin doesn't even realize that, like, Benka was, you know, there for her the whole time. She's just so caught up in her own paranoia. Uh, and then, e- even at the end, she, like, kind of turns on Kate and she's like, wow, I can't believe Kate has been hiding this-, this from me the whole time, even though I can, like, basically read his mind at this point. Like, this, uh, this you know, twisting of her mind, and, like, you know, th- it is a direct analog to Mao Zedong and, like, how he would, you know, routinely purge his, his own. Uh, followers because of his own paranoia but like yeah i think that that descent where rin sees that she's got everything she wanted she conquered the country she's you know destroyed the hesperian air fleet um you know measures on the run and she still can't you know make the country love her and she can't still she still can't be a complete person like that that is like such a good and effective arc. Uh, of a character that we've seen go through so much, and it, you know, it is a sad arc, right? Because Rin doesn't have a happy life throughout all of it, um, but she ultimately does, you know, what she thinks is the best, um, and it's it's just hard, right? It's it's a very sad book.
1: Yeah, I mean, truly a tragedy. Shakespeare could never honestly. R.F. Kuang could do Hamlet. Shakespeare could not do. The Poppy War trilogy.
0: <laughs> oh God, ain't that the truth? Um, yeah. Uh, it is. I'm yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, know, you're right. <laughs> I was completely correct. Let's see, do you have any other talking points you want to hit?
1: Um not that I can think of, honestly.
0: Um the only one I don't I don't know how you know, if, if you've thought about this a whole lot, but like going back to that the colonialism talk, um right, we see throughout the book like this persistent conversation between uh kate and rin where kate's like he's just like looking at the fact that the like, Hesperians are like so powerful and and rich and technologically advanced and he he's just saying like hey what if they are like he does at one point just say like what if they are better than us like they think they are and like rin gets upset with him because she's like what the fuck are you talking about But he's like look they built this magnificent city that's better than um synagogue in three weeks and like they have they've been able to fly for hundreds of years and you know they have this very thought out defined theology that literally ranks them as higher species than us like what are we supposed to do in the face of all that and like i was just wondering if you had any thoughts about like how not only the the book portrays um the the trauma of colonialism on the national psyche but like you know if you if you had any analogs in in your own experience in the diaspora
1: yeah, so colonialism is bad, right? Let's get <laughs> let's uh, let's get that out. <laughs> we there.
0: do not, we do not endorse colonialism on this podcast.
1: I was thinking about this the other day. Um, if so, it is November twenty twenty right now. Um, uh, uh, um, Armenian Azerbaijan recently had um, a rekindling of the Nagorno-Karabakh war in which from my understanding um, the uh, region of Karabakh which is um, technically under Armenian supervision um, but it's kind of like Catalan and Taiwan where it's kind of its own thing with its own government um, Azerbaijan was trying to claim it. Uh, and this is the same conflict that ousted my family from the region in the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, and is kind of the reason I'm a product of a double diaspora. I was thinking about it because, uh, for, I'm 27 years old, uh, and for 20, 20-ish years of my life, um... Uh, whenever I would say I was, uh, Azeri or Azerbaijani, people would be like, uh, what's that? And I would have to just sigh and go, either, um, one of my, my two explanations are either it's Iran's hat, which it is, um, or, hey, you know, like the Kardashians, that, but like a neighbor. And people <laughs> would be like, oh, and I'd be like, yes, that's why we all have these eyebrows. Um but there's been a lot of media attention on, on that hum- horrible humanitarian conflict. And um, the thing about colonialism is that it, it it has a tendency to paint any country in our real world, it has a tendency to paint any country and the residents thereof as um, kind of subhuman uh, based on just like the GDP of the place of where they live, which I mean, like, how are you gonna control the place you're born? Um, and so it just feels like any lives outside of American borders are kind of, I uh, don't say less than, I don't know if you've heard of the Iraq war, but <laughs> we killed a lot of civilians. Um, so it's, it's very, um, you know, propaganda works and uh, propaganda works for Hesperia and propaganda certainly worked for, um, you know, all of the ruling classes in Nikon that ruled by fear, like Su Jin, who benefited a lot from a mythology surrounding her as, as a ruler um which was mostly true but you know some embellishments so uh i think i think it's a really effective portrayal of um all the little ways colonialism really gets to you um like that city right that that they built um i forget the name of it but uh, you know it went up in like three weeks It a running water and all these things and It effectively changed the way that the people lived there and thought, and it encouraged um, an assimilation to Hesperian fashion and Hesperian uh, way of life and Hesperian language. And sure, it is good to share technological advancements, right? That is objectively true. It is good to have clean running water. It is good to have... um, In exposure to different cultures the difference is are you trying to offer something for someone else to adapt to their culture see like Black Panther and Wakanda and and the whole concept of Afrofuturism or are you trying to impose the way you do it on another culture and then painting that culture as lesser than which is what Hesperia is doing and what the united states does and what canada does and, and what many of these like quote-unquote ruling nations do so britain looking at you uh so you know it, it i think it's a, it's a really i don't think this could have been shorter than a trilogy because every book kind of has its own um little encounters with colonialism um even even within the region you know spear being kind of the first victim um and then uh um oh my god what does what does rim blow up oh
0: Mugen, yeah
1: yeah uh, uh rim blows up blows up the mugan there you go that's it's another aspect of colonialism genocide very much a colonialist thing um and then you know hesperia uh uh, uh colonizing nikon under um, nezha's puppet rule it's it's a really apt portrayal uh, that could have only been written by someone who has an intimate knowledge of colonialism as a person of color Written in uh, living in the Western world. So that was my very long way of saying that Arif Kwong did a very good job, and the book makes me very sad.
0: Yep. I think I don't think we have to add any more to that. Um, You should absolutely read not only The Burning God, but you should probably read The Poppy War and The Dragon Republic first uh, and then read it. Um, It's on sale now at bookstores everywhere.
1: Um, You know what? Fucking science experiment. Just go into The Burning Gods. (laughs)
0: <laughs> just read the Burning God with no context I'm sure it'll be fine
1: I'm sure you'll totally get it Um,
0: yeah Um, so to segue away from that Let's uh, talk about the thing that we were going to do last week When we are going to do this week Which is our, um, Scorpio season celebration uh, I think Scorpio season is about to be uh, over here, here in a little bit But, um, you know, you mentioned that you just turned 27 Uh, yeah, so this is going to be like a little bit of a birthday A fun episode. uh, After talking about genocide and you know generational colonialist trauma, uh, let's have a fun birthday convo about the things that we are you know we love. uh, Hell yeah.
1: because it is our obligation to be celebratory in the face of uh, giant systemic oppressive evil, because if we do not take time to celebrate, then what the fuck's the point of living? Happy birthday to me and you, Aaron. What's first on your list?
0: <laughs> uh, to celebrate uh, surviving in the midst of grinding uh, 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 inescapable capitalism, i want to talk about building a PC. <laughs> um, so I am what some people might call a gamer and um i've you know i've liked video games since you know i was five years old and i got a game boy color with pokemon on it for christmas um but i really became interested in pc games like at the end of grade school um with the total war franchise which if you don't know is basically like a both a turn-based and real-time strategy game where you command a little army around and have individual, you know, units of like between thirty and two hundred soldiers. Uh, sort of, you click on them, you make them fight. It's a good time. Uh, I can't talk about Total War, but um, it's a great franchise if you are into any sort of strategy type deal. Um, but I started getting into PC building because I needed a PC to play those games, and I just discovered that it's something that I really enjoy. Like. I kind of liken it to, like, the way that I work on my computer is the way that, like, if you have, you know, uh, a parent, probably a dad, who um, loves to, like, have, like, has this car that they're trying to restore, you know, in their garage. And, like, you know, they always say they're gonna, you know, make it better and fix it up. Like, it's sort of like my car, right? Like, except that I, and it works, and it runs, and it's great. But, like, I am not very good at building a PC. The first time I realized I wanted to upgrade my processor. I got the wrong graphic or not graphics, but, you know, computer chip for it. And I had to learn everything about (laughs) motherboards and, you know, what kind of slots processors go in, which slots. Um, So it's been a, you know, over the course of 10 years, I've learned how to assemble uh, a personal computer. And it's been like kind of a, a fun fulfilling journey. Like uh, I really like being able to look at something that like, I would say is not very difficult to do. I mean, Layla you've, you know, you've built a PC yourself, right? You can attest to that. But it's just kind of fun to be like, hey, you know, 95% of people probably can't do this. Uh, and, it, and it sounds complicated and it looks complicated, but it's, not, it's really just like Legos. And that makes me feel good. And I just like having this computer that I like have to bang around and like fight whenever I don't connect my drives properly <laughs> um, because I don't know how computers work. Um, but it's just like really fun. Like for my birthday, I got a couple sticks of RAM and I was just like... I don't even I don't need to look up where these go. I know where these go, but they just go in the little RAM zone. And then it's just very fun to be able to plug stuff into your computer. Um, my current pride and joy is um RX 5700 XT Thick 3, um, which is a graphics card that's probably the size of my R. <laughs> it's fucking huge and loud, and it runs great, and I love it. Um, and I just, I don't know, I love doing doing shit like that just like being able to to look at something and be like i want to be really stupidly obsessed with getting 60 frames per second even though it doesn't matter at all uh and like you know i try not to be one of those people but like if you want to have a conversation about refresh rates like i can hold one
1: <laughs> yeah uh i i also liken it to adult legos and it is so uh, f- It's, like, high-stakes grown-up Legos, because if you fucking static shock that shit, it's done! It's over. But, yeah, no, uh, congratulations on your sick gamer rig. Did you have, like, a color scheme going in? Did you set it up, like, aesthetically at all? Oh, no.
0: This is a fucking Frankenstein's monster. (laughs) Um, Like, let me tell you, I still have my 2-terabyte hard drive from my first PC, and, like, the CD-ROM disc that I had for my first PC. Slam that into a big old case that has, you know, an Asus motherboard, but an AMD graphics card, but an Intel CPU. It's just, like, and then, like, some random, you know, sticks of RAM that I got off the internet. Like, it's a it's a weird <laughs> stitched-together machine that, you know, it rattles sometimes when the games are running too hot. But, like... <laughs> it, like i i love it and i love being able to be like this is my baby i made this with only a little bit of help and only you know having to reinstall windows 10 three times on it um it just makes me feel happy to be like i i built this with my own hands
1: does your baby have a name
0: oh no do you, do you name your consoles
1: uh my i have a theme i have a theme going please um, explain it's it's road to el dorado so my <laughs> Uh, my computer is Tulio because he makes all the plans and does all the work.
0: Mm-hmm. My little
1: laptop is Miguel because he's a frivolous son of a bitch. And then my phone is Chell because she's a secret powerhouse.
0: <laughs> I love that naming scheme. Do you have Do you have an armadillo?
1: I used to. I can't remember. I think it was my iPod once upon a time, but Aww. the phones are, phones are really, really smart now.
0: <laughs> it's a two-in-one now, yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, Layla, what's first on your list?
1: Um, let's talk about sports anime. (laughs) Fuck yeah. I, listen, I really did like a little self-assessment and I was like, damn, I've been consuming a ton of sports-based media for a person who does not consume sports. Um, I consume sports in the following ways. Skaters, Olympic skaters, namely. I do follow a couple of them on the IG. Shout out Megan Duhamel. was a fucking powerhouse in Canada um and um oh my god what is her name Yevgenia. um oh my god I forgot her name but she's a she's a very young Russian skater she's very promising she's very sweet um anyway I do that I I don't know if you know this but if you live in Buffalo at any point in your life at any point if you have your car windows open there is somebody standing on the side of every highway with a t-shirt cannon and they do yeet like a. Bill's jersey, Bill's hat, and a Bill's like must be a fan for life contract that you do have to sign and yeet back at them in a t-shirt cannon um, while you're driving on the highway. That's like a thing that happens to every Buffalonian. It's like a pact. You got to support the Bills and Sabres. So that is pretty much like my experience with sports. I do like to work out. I do. um, I played field hockey for one year. That's, That's kind of where I live. I love sports-based media so much most recently Haikyuu. Haikyuu teaches you volleyball so well that there's an entire plot point that hinges on spoiler, spoiler 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 there's an entire plot point that hinges on a setter dump and you knowing what a setter dump is and the fact that um, Kageyama can't perform one and then he can perform one with no commentary from any of the other characters like the plot is like hey we have done everything we can for you to understand what just happened and i i like cheered i like understood football all of a sudden i was like oh this is the (laughs) adrenaline they're chasing because i'm sitting here on my chair you know with my arms up in the air going he did it you know excited for this fictional man playing fictional volleyball where they jump really, really high. Also, by the way, Haikyu has a um, stage show, and I do need to. Sorry, to watch what? It. I sent it to you. It is Haikyu has a stage show, and instead of um, um, uh, volleyball games, they do like volleyball dance-offs. Must watch. Oh Fantastic. god, we have
0: to see.
1: They do also have like a. Uh, um, like an anime-style intro, like the Naruto one did.
0: Excellent, perfect. If
1: you haven't listened to our Naruto Spectacular episode, please do, because it is not about the show. It is about the <laughs> stage <stitch> show. <laughs> anyway, so um, I also, Check, Please, finished um this year, I think. Time fake. Check, Please, heartwarming, about hockey. There's gays. There, it's fantastic. Yuri on Ice, a land of skating and no homophobia, in which uh we have a good Russian for once. Actually, we're two good Russians. We have Yuri and Victor. They're both good Russians. Um, and uh, the whole run of that show, I own it. It's one of the only shows I own on DVD. The whole run of that show, I was sitting there with my ass clenched, going, "Are people gonna get mad that they're gay now?" And you know what? No one did. They kissed on the rink. And no one got mad that they were gay. I was like, damn, son, this is the fucking high I've been chasing for years. Because even (laughs) Czech police has, like, a bit of light homophobia. It gets resolved, but it's there. Um, And I noticed this in Fence. I also love Fence, which is a comic series about high school boys fencing. It's also incredibly gay. Um, And you know what? There's just something about sports, about that raw, like, I want to work hard. It's like all the best part of shonen, but in like, no one has to, no little boys have to fight, you know? <laughs> it's all extremely low stakes. It's sports. And to me, that's fucking thrilling. I love that shit. When Kageyama did that setter dump, my ass was cheering. I was excited. I was ready. I was jazzed. I was like on a high. It was great. I can't wait to watch season four. I, I want to read the manga so bad because it just looks so good. And like, it's just this beautiful, heartwarming shit where you're like, damn, I wish I could work that hard in a team of people to achieve a common goal. It just makes you want to be like, Haikyuu makes me want to be a better person, which is a lot, a big achievement in this year, year of our Lord 2020, specifically in quarantine. So that's something I've been loving lately is sports anime.
0: Uh, Excellent um speaking of wanting to be better my second thing is hiking um so uh long time listeners will know that i used to do cross country and track in high school um and i used to be like a something of a distance runner um i am no longer that my bones are broken (laughs) and i don't like to be cold outside um but i do like hiking um And that's weird, right? Because hiking and distance running are fairly similar in that you are going a long distance and are, um, you know, going to be outside where it could be cold. But the thing is that hiking is walking, which is a lot easier than running. So based on that premise, I'd say it's, you know, more fun to do. But um, in in my short life, I've actually gone on, like, several really great hiking trips. Um, Probably the first, like, most memorable hiking trip I was... Uh, I went on was with my father when I was uh, 16. We climbed a mountain in Colorado um, and it was just like a very scary experience because at one point I was like literally staring down the um, edge of a mountain and I like almost shit my pants because it was like 1400 feet to the, 14,000 feet to the, to the bottom and um we had to do like some very intense climbing. I'll never do that again. Um, I've told my father I'll never do that again. But uh, it's it's just like another one of those things where it's like I like to say that I've done some wild accomplishments. Um, similarly, when I was in undergrad, the, the summer before my senior year, my scholarship group went on this really great trip to Utah and to um, Nevada to go hiking in like uh, uh, Zion National Park and Goblin valley that state park just like out in the west right we saw all the arches we saw you know the the desert um and that's like what i would say like one of the, the top experiences of my life just like best trip ever um i got to hang out with my college friends and go hiking and then recently um back in i want to say 2018 me and my dad also went out to uh, glacier national park and like the first day there like we saw a uh like a grizzly bear and her cub and me and my dad were like well we're probably not gonna have a better experience than that but um like i like hiking because it is right i'm because i did all that stuff in high school i like have this guilt i mean that also has to do with the fact that it was a catholic high school but um i have this guilt about not exercising and i really do want to exercise more Um, but I'm also one of the kinds of people that can't really do that unless I have somebody else with me. Um, so, which is why I don't exercise very much anymore, but I really liked, you know, going out in nature with someone like, you know, disconnecting from, you know, social media for a little bit and just like taking some nice pictures and being outside and, you know, feeling like I, like I exercised. And it's it's just kind of like a nice thing to do, um, and I do wish that I I did it more. Um, maybe once grad school is over and there's not a virus in the air, I'll find some more time for hiking. But uh, I highly recommend hiking uh, if anybody uh, has the time for that.
1: Yeah, if you ever come visit me in the meat space after I move, there's a lot of really great hikes in Western New York, and I also love hiking.
0: Sick, so, sick, sick, sick! I'll take you. Bring.
1: Over that. Bring your wife,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we'll go, it'll be great. I have a fancy camera. It's gonna be a fun, a fun, great meet, meet space time. Uh, yeah, hiking is fantastic. I fully agree with you. Um, speaking of exploring uh, green space, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: So outside of this podcast, uh, Aaron recommended that I play Breath of the Wild and generously sent me his copy to borrow. And at first I was like, yeah, this is really fun. I don't know if this is like my thing necessarily. I don't really love like open world games. They take up a lot of my time and and they're not usually um, immersive enough for me to like really get into them. Or if they are immersive enough, then it it, it requires like homework almost. You know what I mean? Like um, a la Skyrim where you kind of have to know a little bit of the lore to be interested. and. All I think about anymore is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. If I'm not thinking about something, I am thinking about Link. Because let me fucking tell you. That little boy, that fancy little amnesiac, he don't got nothing going on in that head of his. There is not a thing. There's not a thought. There's a scene where he gets healed by one of the champions who has a big fat crush on him and was well trying to marry him actually and she's like giving him an hour long diatribe about how much she likes him and that she wants to go on a date with him after they vanquish Calamity Ganon and he has not a thought in his head not a single thought there's another scene where Urbosa who is so hot um is talking at him, because she, he comes up behind her while Zelda's, like, napping on bossa's shoulder, and she's like, your silence says it all. I'm like, does it, bossa <laughs> <Does>, Ma'am. <laughs> ma'am, this is not a man with thoughts, which is, as long-time listeners, first-time callers will know, is my favorite type of man. Um, and... Th- I messaged Aaron at some point. I'm like, so basically the beginning of this game is Link's no good, very bad (laughs) boarding Because he takes a hundred year nap. And has to... He wakes up and is forced to save the world with nothing but muscle memory and the disembodied voice of a woman that seems to know him. Is he hearing it? Who's to say? There's no confirmation. He's got his own Nintendo Switch on his hip and a mission and no pants. And that's how he's going to fucking do it. And there's, like, there's a lot you can extract from the narrative if you're me and you, like, read into it a lot. So was just, you know, there's a lot of me sitting at my computer really zoning out and thinking to myself, damn, I don't know if this was intended, but as Link is, like, collecting his memories, isn't it fucking depressing that he knows what's going on in Hyrule? In the sense that, like, Calamity Ganon was such a calamity that it halted technological, social, any sort of progress in the area for a 100 years to the point where this tasty little snack of a boy wakes up and and can just use everything fine like you know he doesn't wake up a 100 years later and is just like lilu from the fifth element about it you know he's he's there and he gets all these like sad flashbacks and hey did you notice that when the ghosts talk to him they don't ask if he remembers them and he doesn't provide the information they just kind of talk to him like they know him and he just kind of stands there and is like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. he gets Mifa's betrothal armor and he's like yeah Mipha, real- mm-hmm. you know he just stands there and he's quiet and he's a little dumb and that's okay And, you know, some more shit you can extract from the narrative. You sit there and you watch all these cutscenes of Zelda getting very frustrated with him because he seems to know what he's doing. I don't think he does. And that she, like, doesn't. She does. And it's, you know, it's just funny to watch that dynamic of her being kind of, like, cranky in his direction. Uh, and then knowing that she's gonna, like, have to re-meet him, and this is, like, a new, more feral, looser Link, who, like, has a bunch of, like, a new personality grafted onto the old one. It's just... And that's a lot about the meta-narrative. It's also just pretty. And, like, it's all I think about anymore. Because (laughs) it's nice. And when the election was going on, I was like, I want to go to, to there. Not here. There. I th- water! I wanna swim up waterfalls, and I don't know, ride a pony. It's great. I love it. And not a lot of games can get horse mechanics right. I think this is what happens when Witcher 3 is actually fun. Because, I don't know if you've played Witcher 3, it's not great mechanically. The story's fine, but the, the gameplay is bad. And this is it. This did it. Nintendo, you did it. I'm fucked up. I'm ready for Calamity Warriors. I'm ready for BOTW 2, I've got a Hyrule Historia today, I'm ready to play Twilight Princess, I'm fucking here, Nintendo. It took me ten years, or however the fuck long, to get here, but it took one dude in Indiana sending me a copy of this game to hook me. I love it, it's great, it's been keeping my heart buoyed for weeks, so, um, that's my, my, that's, I love, thank you, Link.
0: I think that Nintendo should base their marketing strategy more about around single dudes in Indiana. I think they'd have a lot more engagement. <laughs> uh, I agree. With their products. Or,
1: or single ladies uh, deep in the heart of Texas.
0: <laughs> yeehaw, partner. <laughs>
1: um, Did you uh, bonus real quick? Have you do you know there's apparently a difference between yeehaw and yee?
0: Um, and.
1: Yee-haw people can yee, yee but yee, yee people can't yee-haw. This is a new controversy I've
0: stumbled upon. Oh, sorry. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I personally would not yee, yee but I don't know that I would yee-haw either. I don't know that I'm that that kind of Midwesterner.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's something to think about, listeners. <laughs> Write us. <laughs> e- e- email <laughs> us at Mortified are a, pod <laughs> Are you a yeehaw? Are you a yee? Are, are you a yeehaw? That's dipped your toes into yee? <laughs>
0: <laughs> inquiring minds want to know.
1: I, just, I don't know if my mind's not inquiring anymore.
0: oh uh, we're all just smooth-brained little trouserless boys at this point. Uh, uh. Heyla, what are we doing next week?
1: Kipo! Kipo Season 3.
0: Oh, fuck. I'm so excited. I've I've only watched the first three episodes, and I really want to see what happens to the frog. Oh, I love Jamak. Um, very excited to, to finish that saga. Um, Layla, where can people find you on the internet?
1: I'm at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. You can read my essays at laylamamadova.com slash blog, and my comic is astroheartcomic.com. It will come back soon. I'm just very sleepy.
0: Um... You can find me on the internet at Aaron SXL on Twitter. You can also follow my other podcast at MBMBF and me. We are going to be watching um, latter days with our Mormon friend uh, tomorrow. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That's going to be a good time. Um, And uh, yeah, you can, as always, rate and review us on iTunes and, uh, you know, tell all your friends about how great we are. Because I think this podcast is fun, and I think people should pay us to have fun. Not that anyone is paying us, but you could consider it.
1: Hey, if you, here's the thing, right, right? So if we get enough interest, we can start a Patreon. And then, guys, we really don't require that much money at all, but it would be nice if we could pay for our Linktree and make that customizable, and also, like, our website, and also, like being able to host on itunes and then i don't know someday if you uh if you really support us and you know because we're cool and fun and sexy and and young um you know maybe someday we could like show up in your midwestern town and do a little live show in a bar you never know these these are dreams i have um aaron is very funny and i am also funny and can you imagine if we were live on stage and he was nervous and i was drunk it would be fucking (laughs) great so uh Support t- Tell your fr- tell your friends about Mortified the
0: Friendship Quest and
1: also sign up for our newsletter. It's almost newsletter time.
0: Oh man, we're going to have... I, I bet December's going to kick ass. I'm excited for that. All right. Let us sign off for, with um, a quote that I think is apt and applies not only to the Burning God, but also to our podcast. I am the force of creation. I am the end and the beginning. The world is a painting and I hold the brush... I am a god. We'll see you all next week.
1: (laughs) All right, gamers!